Welcome to New Jersey Tech Meetup, the podcast. Each episode, we bring you a huge amount of value from past keynotes at our events, fireside chats, and much, much more. Tune in to hear from entrepreneurs such as Gary Vaynerchuk, James Altucher, and your host, Aaron Price. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we can't wait to share more episodes with you in the future. Uh, we got a lot of great support from the law firm of Soren Rand. We made sure that all the groups that are supporting this event and, and the New Jersey Tech Meetup are startup friendly and understand the sort of struggles that we deal with, uh, not just business-wise, but also financially. They're flexible, make things work. And so with that, I'm very pleased to introduce uh, Drawer Footer from Soren Rand. We'll talk about five things every startup should know. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, thank you, everyone, for arranging this uh, amazing conference. Uh, I've been asked to kind of highlight top five things a lawyer would think about when advising startups. And of course, because I am a lawyer, I can't click a button. Uh, there. A disclaimer. Tell me you didn't see this coming. What I'm about to tell you is not legal advice. It's not the opinion of, of my firm. It's probably not even my own opinion. Uh, go see a real lawyer. Okay, one really major point, and again, I, I think my sense of people in the room is that they're all in all kinds of different stages of the venturing process, but from the financing side, the rules of the road are pretty well set. There are variables you can tweak, but the deal structures in venture capital are really well defined. So if you're going to seek funding, it's going to come either in the form of some form of convertible note, or it's going to be through an equity financing, and usually if you're dealing with outside investors, they're going to be getting preferred stock. And the general parameters of what those deals are going to look like, again, are pretty well defined in the industry. Uh, people expect to see them. If you come with terms that are outside those norms, people will raise an eyebrow. You can sometimes overcome them, but it puts a little bit of a burden on you. So the first piece of advice I'd give a startup is make sure you have kind of an ecosystem of advisors who have been down the road. And that includes on the business side, who can, people who can advise you in terms of what are market terms for a venture uh, of your sort that's seeking financing, um, financial statements that are in the forms people expect to see them, lawyers who understand the deal documentation. Um, I've worked, represented many, many ventures, and kind of the first moment you know the financing isn't going to go well is when you see somebody's forms and they look unlike anything you've ever seen in the venture space. That communicates a message about you as a company. Uh, it's not an insurmountable problem, uh, but it certainly puts you behind, uh, behind the eight ball. So while there's a self-serving element behind that advice, it's really important. This is, this is a game where, where the creativity is on the technical side, not on the documentation and deal term side. Okay, you're going out to fundraise. You want to find out um, what your pre-money valuation is. Now, to make no assumptions of people's familiarity, pre-money valuation is what an investor is willing to value your company at at the time you're seeking funding. So, for example, if you have an investor that's willing to invest $5 million in you uh, and give you a pre-money valuation of $5 million, the resulting valuation of the company uh, is $10 million, and they will own 50% of the company. So people are always very focused on what valuation uh, their existing uh, company is given before this new money comes in, uh, with the feeling being obviously the higher the value, the more the company you own, and that's by definition good. Uh, and the second message I wanted to deliver today is not all pre-money valuations are created equal. 
Uh, there are a lot of terms, you know, next level kind of underneath the hood that could make a lower pre-money valuation actually superior to a higher valuation. So for example, um, liquidation preferences. Liquidation preferences are, are terms VCs use uh, for money they're guaranteed to get back before you see anything. The larger that preference is, the more money you're going to have to sell the company for before you as a founder, before you as employees will see any money. Um, often you'll see preferred returns that uh, they have to get not only their money back but a certain guaranteed percentage a year. You know, numbers like 8% would be something very typical. You'd see 6 5%. Uh, when ventures exit very quickly, you may not care, but average exit of a venture seven, eight years, do the math and the compounding of six, seven, eight percent becomes a pretty significant number. Um, control provisions. Somebody's willing to give you a high valuation, you're all excited, but they really want to run the company afterwards, even though all they have is a board seat. Uh, again, not all uh, high valuations are created equal. And how are they going to account for the option pool, which typically comes out of the, uh, you know, out of the pool of the uh, of the founders' equity? Uh, again, depending on the allowances, depending on the expectations, the deal may be better or worse for you. So, you know, the bottom line message is: yes, a high valuation is usually better than a low valuation, but not always. Dig underneath the surface. And the other really important point when you're going uh, for investors person with the biggest checkbook may not be the best investor for your company. Uh, a lot of investors bring very uh, sophisticated networks uh, and due diligence in terms of their networks in your specific industry. Um, what's the reputation of, of, the, uh, of the investor as a board member, as a participant in other ventures? Uh, will they be with you in tough times? Will they kind of turn the screws in tough times? There's, there's really a wide range of behaviors out there. And the same way investors do due diligence on you, you should be doing due diligence on investors uh, and learning how they behave in good times and, and in many ways, more importantly, in bad times. Um, and the other thing is people often aren't sensitive to, uh, particularly in the venture capital space, fund lives. So the typical venture capital fund has a five-year investment period and then an additional five years where they can follow on on investments uh, that are made in that initial five-year period. So in all, you're dealing with 10 years, and there's some extension that can take that out to 11 or 12 years. Knowing where your investor is in their cycle is very important, because you might be in a situation where you have somebody who invests in you, but they're towards the end of their fund life, and they may have very limited capability of doing your follow-on funding rounds. So being sensitive to where your investor is in their fund life is another important factor when you're considering a couple of different offers uh, and deciding whether the highest valuation really wins. Uh, next, I get this question asked a lot. LLC versus C-Corp. Uh, uh, just to give you a little bit of history, uh, I was the general counsel of, venture cap of a venture-backed company until about a year ago and joined Soren Rand. If you had asked me a year ago, I would have answered this question, well, there are pluses and minuses both ways. I can see it this way, I can see it that way. With a year of working uh, pretty intensively with LLCs, I'm, you know, I'm pretty firmly in the camp now that in most cases, the LLC is not the right vehicle from almost day one. Uh, when is the LLC the right vehicle? Well, if you don't think you're going to need external funding, uh, if you don't think you're going to have an equity plan for your employees, the LLC may work, but if you're going to be going out to seek investment you know, in the next two, three years, if you want to grant your employees options, 
you can do these things starting with an LLC, but every step of your life will become a great deal uh, more difficult. Uh, it is very hard to transition options in an LLC to options in a C-Corp down the road. Uh, most venture capital firms will not invest in LLCs, and so as part of the financing, you may have to convert to a C-Corp. At the margins, it's a little bit less expensive to set up an LLC. Over time, a lot of the costs involved in operating an LLC uh, eclipse those initial savings. So if you're at that point where you're making a decision, make a strong pitch for going for a C-Corp unless you think you're going to be out there on your own for a while. Next, even if you don't go ahead and file patent applications, if, if your differentiator is technology, talk to an IP attorney early on. Talk to a patent attorney. If, you, if your brand is important to you, talk to a trademark attorney. Uh, and the reasons are a couple. One, they may give you advice to help you refine how you're developing your technology, both in terms of strengthening your potential claim. Uh, number two, they may be able to guide you in terms of other competing technologies to be uh, concerned about. Uh, in addition, um, there's a what's called a provisional patent, which is very uh, inexpensive to file and kind of gives you a one-year placeholder after which you have to really incur the expense of full application. Uh, so if technology is a key differentiator for you, have that conversation. Yes, it'll have some cost attached to it, but I think even for the, the smallest startup, uh, it's money well spent. And the same thing on trademark selection. Uh, there is nothing um, kind of more uh, painful than having to rebrand because you get a cease and desist letter because you're infringing somebody else's trademark. Again, a very short consultation uh, with a trademark attorney can save a lot of heartache down the road. Uh, and then in terms of the way you run your business, be really careful to make sure that your IP is surrounded by what I would call a contractual blanket. Make sure that everybody's touching that's touching your IP uh, is subject to an NDA. Make sure that anybody who's developing IP for you is subject to an agreement that assigns you the rights in that IP. And the last piece of advice is first impressions count. When you do go out to seek financing, people are going to ask to see a diligence room full of your key documents. Uh, and a lot of times, the first impression of how you present yourself in terms of the level of organization and, and detail of your documentation sets the tone for the negotiation. If somebody sends a message that we've got our house in order, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt and a lot of further diligence. If things look like a haphazard mess, it's only going to motivate people to dig deeper. So what type of documentation should you be uh, making sure you have in place and equally as important when retaining? Um, anything having to do with IP creation, anytime you engage somebody to create IP, make sure it's documented. Make sure the terms of that engagement and the assignment of that IP is documented. Um, anything having to do with the issuance of equity, options, warrants. You know, the fact that you sent somebody, uh, had a conversation with somebody and said, yeah, come do some work for me, I'll give you 2% of the company, that's going to get you in trouble unless there's a document that you created at the same time specifying the terms around that. Um, anything having to do with terms of employment, because, you know, you bring people on, things are very fluid at the beginning, people leave, the last thing you want is somebody hearing that you got funding and filing an employment claim that you didn't pay the monies that were owed, you violated some terms, you made some other promises to them, um, and anything having to do with customers and suppliers. Uh, the bottom line message, 
an email chain is not a good form of documentation. And I know there's this temptation, you know, you don't have a lot of resources, you, you want to hire a contractor, you send an email, I'll pay you this, I'll do that. The person says, great, I'll do the work, leaving it there. That kind of stuff tends to come back and haunt you, uh, and particularly raises red flags on diligence. So a little bit of upfront work, a little bit of discipline around documenting things, and equally as important, saving those things uh, can really create a great first impression on due diligence uh, and save a lot of heartache uh, if you have to recreate documents down the road. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on our future episodes. From the team at New Jersey Tech Meetup, we hope you're having a great day, and we look forward to spending more time with you in the future. 